this is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 93. Hello my friends, how are you all doing? I know for many of us right now we're going into lockdown 2.0 across the world. We've just been through the tumultuous time of the US election. I'm really pleased with the result personally. But I just know that there's a lot of hardship and stress and anxiety out there. So I'm sending you all a big hug. I think last time in lockdown, I sort of withdrew from everything and kind of hid. Don't know if anyone else can relate to that. But this time I do feel a lot more steady and clear. And so my plan is to keep this podcast coming out weekly throughout the whole period for anyone who might want to listen. I know for me, having these conversations each week, it kind of helps to fill in some of the space that's left from all of my usual social engagements. And I know I've heard from so many of you out there who listen, who say that it helps you feel a little bit less alone, a little bit less isolated if you're maybe working solo or at home by yourself. And sort of like you're having a coffee with friends, which I love. And I really hope that today's conversation can bring you a big dose of that. This week then, our joint coffee date together is with a returning guest, food writer and photographer Sky McAlpine. Sky, if you've not already heard her previous episode or don't know her online, she got started in the food industry thanks to her blog and her Instagram account. And now she's a published author, a Sunday Times food columnist, and has her own range of tableware in anthropology stores. We just have a really casual and fun conversation talking about food and all of the rituals and power that it can bring, what it's like to publish a book about dinner parties in the middle of a lockdown, and why it is absolutely okay to cheat in your cooking when you need to. Sky, welcome to the podcast again. Welcome back to the podcast, I should say. For anyone who's not caught our first episode together, would you do a quick intro to yourself and your work? Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is like one of my all-time favorite podcasts. So it's a complete joy to be back chatting with you again. Um, I feel so lucky. Um, But yeah, I'm a food writer. I'm a cookery writer. Um, I'm author of two books now, A Table for Friends. It's my first book and my second book came out um, last month, uh, July, and it's called A Table for Friends. And and I write a column for the Sunday Times, a recipe column, and contribute to various publications um, around the world here and there when I can. mostly recipes and um really just inspire trying to inspire people to enjoy cooking um as much as I do and it sounds like you're sat somewhere in a wonderful big room you're in Venice right now aren't you in your apartment is it an apartment you have there yeah, so we have an apartment here. So I'm English. Um, um, as Sky McAlpine is quite an English sounding name. So I am, I am English and um, my family moved to Venice when I was six years old. Um, and I grew up here, went to school here and then went to university in England. And since then, um, I've kind of been lucky enough that I've been able to live between Italy or between Venice and London. Um, so kind of get to be in both places which I absolutely love. It's totally the dream. And we were just talking before we officially began about what Brexit might do to that and uh, how we yeah. hope that it, it means people can still enjoy 
enjoy that kind of movement and the best of both worlds. I really, really hope so. Um, because I, I mean, do feel so lucky. It's just incredible. Both places in their own way feel like home for different reasons. And, you know, having to kind of cut uh, one of those places out of my life would be incredibly sad. Um, so, I'm, yeah, fingers and toes and everything else crossed um, for, yeah, being able to. Yeah, being able to keep them both, especially because I've just fallen in love with a house in France and I want to do it now. So I might ask you some questions later about uh, ki- kitchens in two places. I've got some questions. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the, I, I'm all over it. <laughs> things to talk about. <laughs> but first, tell us the book. I think there's a, there's a little bit of an irony, isn't there, in anyone launching a book in lockdown because it's just a completely different experience but especially a table for friends when everyone can't be with their friends I know I know and I really was there there was kind of that that moment in the you know as you know from from your book there's you know books take so long to write create and then even once you've written it and you've handed in your manuscript and you think that kind of magically it should be on the bookshelves it then takes quite a long time to turn that into the the final final product um so at the world I wrote the book in 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 some ways was a such a different world from the book it was published into and that was definitely in the months building up to publication date was um something you know I was really quite worried about um you know I kind of thought gosh it's become such a controversial topic (laughs) who would have thought that kind of looking for the people you love um would be a would be a controversial topic um but I think um the one thing in, in in other ways the world really is still the same and I think in some ways this being apart from the people that we love certainly for me has made me value it even more Um, you know maybe I'm not you know I can't have as I would have you know parties you know I love having like 20 people over for 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 lunch or 12 people or 10 people it's on a much smaller scale but that same that that ritual of cooking for the people you love and sitting down together and enjoying your time together and that that way that you can do it in a home that is never quite the same in a somehow in a in a restaurant or where you're out that way you can really like relax into the meal and really have a proper conversation and really catch up and really be together and also selfishly as you know maybe the person who's hosting lunch or dinner or whatever it is to have that privilege of being able to show someone that you love them by making something for them cooking for them um is is still you know is more is more precious than ever and is part of life still now um even if in a slightly different way from how it was even just a year ago it's the thing I'm craving the most. I'm like really fondly thinking of the big gathering, you know, a big table with everyone coming together. Um, and what we've been really lucky here to be able to do outside our house at the back is like a cobbled path. And across the cobbled path, um, some of our really good friends live. So when lockdown law is allowed, we've been able to like just bring out our kitchen tables and just put everything out there and kind of do it the dream that's the dream that's the fun thing the sort of silver lining of kind of this new world that we live in is I think that we've all got a lot more creative um about you know finding ways to eat together whether that's kind of meeting friends in the park to have a picnic or yeah like your couple street kind of bringing tables together and that's really lovely and I think what I also love about that is we've all relaxed we're all just so grateful and so happy to be in the company of the people that we love but we do a lot less fussing about worrying if our houses look neat yes or, yeah 
if, if what we've cooked is somehow up to scratch or whatever. And that really was the spirit in which I wrote the book is I wanted to try and encourage people to stress about it less and enjoy it more and make it you know, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to put on some kind of show. Even the word entertain has all these implications of some sort of elaborate performance that you're putting on from friend, for friends. And really what you want to do is be in their company and they just want to be in your company. And even if that's over a takeaway, you know, um, or a, a salad and steak and salad or whatever, whatever it is, something really simple and really easy and allowing ourselves to enjoy it more I think then makes you release for me like if it's something fun you're going to want to do it more often and then the more often you do it the more fun it is in a way and the funner and richer your life is for that absolutely in fact the book your book um in that way reminds me a little bit of a book I used to have years ago and I cannot remember the name or the author but it was the same idea that it was like a series of menus that you could just like bung in the oven and it was it was always delicious and then you could get down to the actual part of like enjoying the company and I feel like your book is like a the new the new world version of it with like all the food that we're all eating now but it's kind of like we all fixate on the cooking and of course it is a cookbook but really the cooking becomes such a small part once you kind of know what you're doing or you pair it right down the cooking is such a small element of it and then like you say the company is really important or if you enjoy making the table look a little yeah. bit sure then that's fun and you can do that and it's really focusing on the bits that you enjoy doing and carrying no guilt of not doing or kind of doing making less of a fuss of the bits that you don't enjoy um even if that's leaving the washing up till the next morning or you know not putting pressure on yourself to have a immaculate home if you're going to invite your friends over yeah or like three different uh, starters and like <laughs> multiple a dessert that you've handmade you can always just I, I'm always a, I cheat on dessert that's my kind of uh guilt-free way of managing to cook a proper meal for everybody you should I think you should cheat you everyone should cheat on at least one thing like you you, you need to be cheating otherwise just like it's too, it's too hard and I think you know I love I have such a sweet tooth I'm, I'm the complete opposite I have such a sweet tooth and I love pudding and I actually really like baking more than I like cooking so I'll always make pudding but then like the actual main course might be um something that I've just thrown together you know or even if it's like smoked salmon and a nice loaf of bread and and a nice salad no cooking verb and then a really nice cake that I've really enjoyed baking or something so it's like doing the bits that you enjoy doing oh you are a good friend to have (laughs) (laughs) and I guess as well like there's the creative side of lockdown in that we've all had to be a bit more creative about what we cook about what's available have you been in Venice the whole time for lockdown no, we were we were actually in London when they they started locking down Italy, um, and then they closed the borders. So we stayed in London for lockdown, and then towards the end of June, when they opened up the borders here in Italy, we we flew out and have been here since then, um, which has been really nice, kind of finding a way of being between between the two. Um, but yeah, in London, it was there was a moment when it was really hard to get holds of ingredients. Um, and it was sort of crazy. You'd go to the supermarket just before lockdown and like all the aisles were just like completely empty. Yeah, no pasta. No That's pasta. Lentils, no. And even it got to put even like the fresh stuff yeah. started to be, um, be gone, uh, which was, you know, kind of really bizarre in retrospect. Um, and 
you know, so you kind of had to get really creative about what you were kind of going to make for supper. Um, felt like every every day was sort of an episode of Ready, Steady, Cook, where you, <laughs> like, I found one onion. <laughs> a slightly bendy carrot and... A chocolate bar. And... <laughs> And how does that compare to Venice? Because obviously Italy was really badly hit early on. Yeah. How are you shopping now in Venice? How is that picture looking? So here it's really kind of come back to normal. And friends who were here through lockdown, lockdown here was incredibly strict, much stricter than it was in the UK. I mean, I have a friend who has a little daughter and children actually weren't allowed out of the house for 11 weeks. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And that's Venice where no one's really got gardens, presumably. Like. Yeah. It's a real apartment living here and very, very, very few people have gardens and they're very small for the people who do. It's really kind of a tiny town and everyone on top of each other. Um, And yeah, you could only go out of the house to buy food, to buy medicine or if you had a special permission and you weren't allowed further than 100 metres from your house and you could only go by yourself. So you couldn't, at least in the UK, you could go for a walk with members of your own household. Yeah. Um, but in Italy, but here you couldn't, and they really enforced it. Apparently, you know there were very huge fines, like between five hundred to three thousand euros wow. if you got, and there were police on the street. Checking. I don't know if I'd have coped because those daily walks was the thing that kind of kept me sane. I think completely the same. It, re- it re- for me, it really was kind of we we're quite lucky in London. We live near a park, and every day I would go for my one hour and kind of walk, listen to mostly your podcast. <laughs> I got listened to something, you know, that was unrelated to coronavirus and just walk. And that was a really important, important part of feeling, you know, keeping my head above water through lockdown. Um, so I think really tough. And also, I mean, we have a seven-year-old and one-year-old. So for the one-year-old, I think probably not particularly healthy to be at home for that long, but probably fine. But for our seven-year-old, I mean, he would have just gone completely stir crazy. Same, all as seven. And like, you can't contain that energy. <laughs> no, oh, you really can't. It's challenging enough not being at school with yeah. with other kids. And, you know, it's such, it's such an important developmental stage for them. And you know, as much as you try and do your best with homeschooling, I think obviously it's hugely important to learn how to read and write and do maths and everything, but also just the social skills mm. that you do at age and you can't really homeschool those in that kind of environment. No, and I, I am definitely not meeting all the standards for play. I do everything wrong. <laughs> oh, yes, same. Also, I'm, I'm, you know, I really want to, you know, if, if it were playing with dolls or something like that, maybe I would be, could bring myself, but it's all like Lego and battles and, oh. and I'm really... I'm not good at it. Yeah, at least I've got the Sylvanian families. I can set up a bakery, which keeps me. (laughs) (laughs) So, baby, of course, baby is new since we last spoke. I know crazily he's a year old, and it's so funny. I keep looking at him and I'm like, how did you get so big? How are you not tiny baby anymore um it goes so I think second time round, I feel like it goes really really fast that first year maybe it's also because we've had a very weird year um I don't know if you found this but like lockdown it just felt like it's sort of it each day was a very slow day but somehow the days sped past really mm-hmm. it's like just the missing it's almost like having gone on holiday for a week or something yeah yeah, yeah. I look I, like it's been since March and I'm like where has that gone basically so yeah um but yeah no he's adorable and we're really lucky he's a really 
chilled baby. Amazing. Um, so that's a real blessing, I've got to say. <laughs> um, my sister had a baby during lockdown and he is frightened of being held by anybody else because it was so long before he was able to be held by anyone except his mum and dad. So now whenever someone he doesn't know holds him, he just screams, which I think is heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. Funny enough, I have a, one of my best friends. She had a baby not during lockdown, but her baby was very little to do at the start of lockdown. And and she said when she's, they, you know, when lockdown started to ease, they went to see her mother and you know my, my friend's mother said the baby's grandmother and the and you know she, she started crying because she just um hadn't seen anyone other than the you know her mummy and her daddy basically from yeah whatever it was and I that that made me really acutely aware I think with children because they can't articulate they can't advocate for themselves in a way and as adults I think we were all hyper conscious of the fact that this was a challenging time and trying to find coping mechanisms and structures to whether it's your daily walk in the park or doing an online yoga class or trying to switch off from the news or whatever it is, but really focused on finding coping mechanisms to get through it as sort of mentally okay as possible for children. They, you know, they can't articulate. Um, And so we have a tendency maybe to think that it's not a problem that assume that there is, they tell us otherwise and then you see something like that happening you realize that it's a huge 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 challenge for them I was definitely guilty of that with Orla that like her behavior started to become kind of mildly challenging and I was really angry about it and then I had to really stop myself and and think actually like this is hard for her in ways I can't see because it's very easy to be like oh she's fine she's at home all day she's playing about the future of the world or like whatever work or whatever it is but it's it's not like that it's a different set of challenges and problems for them isn't it of course it is and I think we'll probably be seeing the repercussions evolving for quite a long time to come speaking of homeschooling let's get let's go to a slightly more positive <laughs> note um do you, have you been cooking with I guess I guess youngest one Achille is too young but have you been cooking with Anais? A little bit. Um, we've definitely been doing lots of eating together. Ines, I've discovered, is definitely a lot keener on the eating than on the cooking, which is fair <laughs> enough. Um, <laughs> but we did actually, we did like we'd make cookies. It became kind of a bit of a lockdown ritual that most days we'd make um, chocolate chip cookies. And then in the afternoon, we'd kind of play like half an hour of like fun Scrabble match and have the cookies, uh, which was like a real highlight of the day and something to look forward to. And, um, you know, sometimes he would make breakfast for us that's like a meal that I think is really nice because it's a lovely simple meal and he can really take ownership of it um so he can sort of put the yogurt in the bowls or put the cereal in the bowl and mix it with whatever it is and it's that lovely feeling which is so rewarding as part of the reason why I love cooking is that sense of achievement that you get from having you know done it basically you know I did this I made this um so he's really good at breakfast um and then the other thing that actually was a real silver lining very sparkly silver lining of lockdown was being able to have meals together like breakfast lunch and dinner it's so nice because normally he's at school my husband's in the office you know I'm often on the go or if it's just me I'll eat at my desk you know and but actually we really made a thing of pausing for the meals and that in a way, helped reignite, like helped remind me why it is that it's fun to cook, you know, um, and why it's such it can be such a special thing. 
Um, so that that was nice. That really was nice. That is nice. And like, I suppose I feel like that's something we had a bit more of when we were younger. I don't know if that's true or if I've just romanticised the past. <laughs> but like in school holidays, like having lunch as a family, whereas it feels like now it's still so busy all the time that it's very easy to lose those kind of rituals. I think so. I think like as a society, we, we've slightly forgot. There are so many convenient solutions to lunch or dinner, but we've sort of swung where we've placed such an emphasis on convenience that we've forgotten that it can actually just be a really nice pleasure, but maybe we're not doing it because we have to, we're doing it because we enjoy doing it. Yeah. Like actively choosing choosing that in the same way that you might choose to do a yoga class or you might choose to watch a movie or you might choose to go for a walk or something well these things require a tiny bit of effort but then you really enjoy it and I think cooking's kind of the same and so much of it is habit because obviously the more you cook the better you get at it and by that I think I don't really even mean that you know if you make a hundred sponge cakes by your hundredth one it's going to be the most <laughs> sponge cake ever it's more like the more you get into the habit of cooking the more likely you build up a well-stocked kitchen so you already have the ingredients when you come to making lunch and you don't have to start from writing the shopping list and you know what to do if you've run out of one thing like what to substitute substitute with that or you have leftovers from yesterday and you get really good at turning that into something else that makes a, a different meal or you don't sometimes you'll turn to a cookbook for inspiration but you feel confident and competent that if you don't have much time you can turn around a delicious lunch in sort of 10-15 minutes with the bits that you already have and doing them the way that you know how to do it type thing even I think as well like for anyone listening who's like a new cook the time it takes you to chop an onion when you're brand new to using a knife versus when you've been doing it for years like I remember it used to be an ordeal I'd be like okay I'm gonna chop an onion like gear up for this totally and the other solution that I have to that which is again like being a bit of a cheat but actually why not is I'm really obsessed with and during lockdown I became really obsessed with the like ready chopped frozen onion I don't know if you're a big fan of this I've never tried it Oh my God, it's transformational because I hate chopping onions. <laughs> I mean, I'll do it and I don't really mind now, as you say, you sort of kind of do, but it's probably one of my least favorite things. And you buy these bags and it's ready chopped onion. Or if you were kind of being super organized, you'd maybe like chop five onions yourself and freeze it. So you kind of got it ready to go or you can sort of cheat and buy it ready chopped and then when you're basically if you're making anything that has cooked onion in it you just if you just pop it in the pan so if you're making a risotto it saves you that chopping if you're doing a soup or you're doing I mean so many dishes have basically onion at the base of them and it's just like quick and easy step and that's the kind of thing that I think when you cook often you like you say you 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 know that all these recipes have that so then you have it ready and then that's like one step skipped and you shave off all these corners and then before you know it you're you, you you're sort of Jamie Oliver's 10 minute meals or 15 minute meals or whatever it is is you <laughs> yeah it actually takes 10 minutes instead of an hour and you're like this is false advertising <laughs> did you did you learn to cook as a child was it from your mom did you tell me once I did. I learned from my mom, but it's a funny thing that I kind of really, a bit like Aeneas, I guess, like my, our son, I, I grew up in a household where she always cooked and we always cooked and we always ate and that was a huge part of our life. But I very, you know, when I was always sort of 
doing, you know, I might have been peeling potatoes or podding peas or basically doing what I was told to do, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. like help, but not actually leading or creating the meal myself. Yeah. And really, I think I learned to cook when I went to university. And for the first time, I like really wanted to have friends over and eat with them, you know, in, in our, in our flat share. But I, um, but it, there's the difference between cooking one aspect of the meal and bringing a meal together if that yes yes completely and so you know I call my mum and kind of say oh I've got you know I'm doing a roast chicken or something and I've got friends coming over for dinner but what should I do to go with the roast chicken I don't really have space in the oven to fit anything else in there and she might be like well why don't you do peas and you frozen peas and you can do them on the hob and and so really that's where I think I really learned how to cook cook and that was very much the inspiration for my new book a table for friends was this idea of trying to fill in those gaps not just having recipes because I think the recipe is hugely helpful when you want to know how to cook a dish but there's another step yes between how to cook that dish and turning that into a meal yes and also turning it and also choosing a menu that you can actually easily cook for your kitchen if that makes sense like if you don't have you know, if you have a tiny oven, then you don't want to be doing a roast chicken and roast potatoes and roast leeks or something because you can't fit everything in there. You want to sort of be able to juggle things. <laughs> or, you know, if you don't really have a proper kitchen, then you want a, a menu, you know, you can make a delicious menu out of things where it's just assembling ingredients and there's no actual sort of cooking. So you might have like a pantanella, like a lovely bread and tomato salad and a plate of maybe like burrata with preserved lemons or something like that and those are just dishes that you don't need heat for you don't need a working kitchen you could make you know in your bedroom if you are a student which I was and did um and all you've got is kind of your bedroom and a coffee table to serve at you can still kind of do like an amazing meal it's just knowing what to make um so that was really kind of the, the what I wanted to try and do with this book was to help people like me who kind of wanted to cook but were missing a few steps between having a recipe and yeah yeah, yeah. that's exactly my experience as well so I was raised in like we were very much like 80s frozen food at my house like you know there's awful really cheap whatever like everything was with oven chips but my grandma lived two doors away and she cooked and baked from scratch every day and so she she kind of saved me in that sense I think from she taught me from an early age that it was possible and that that food was so much more delicious it's worth the effort yeah that but same thing she was very like you were allowed to do the things she told you to do but nothing (laughs) else she was very strict so yeah so then I, I became like when I, I remember after I left uni I had my first home and I wanted to start cooking it was really like oh and her recipes were very much kind of 1950s coming out of war rationing kind of recipes and they're delicious and they've got absolutely got a place but I wanted to make things that were more kind of modern or more reflective of the ingredients I was seeing in shops and I had no idea like I needed a book like this to <laughs> tell me what they like what goes with what because it's it's a, it takes a long time to find it by fumbling if that's what you're going to do it, it does that's what I that's what I find and you kind of it does take a while and it's like food is a language in a way and it takes time to become 
confident in that language and then when you shift over to a different cookbook or like you say a different language of food like I pick up a you know an Ottolenghi cookbook or something like that and you discover all these amazing flavors that are quite new to you and or new to your kitchen um it's figuring out how to sort of make them work with what you have and the time that you have available and um getting the ingredients and everything I've been thinking a lot lately as well about like how aspirational food can be and it really was for me it was like a way to carve out the life I wanted to be living if that makes any sense like I think food and class are kind of always muddled up together but like it's accessible to everyone you can go to the shop you can buy the ingredients and you can eat the same meal regardless of like where you are on that spectrum right now absolutely I mean that's one of the things you know I I I'm lucky enough to do what I really love and that's write about food but what I love about food and why I think you know I'd love to spend the rest of my life doing this and there's so many more topics and things that I love to explore but what I love about it is it's the most universal things like we all eat if we don't eat we die basically um so every single person eats but what you eat is tells such a personal story from you know, what it means to you and where you come from and the culture that you live in and where you want to be and the kind of life that you're creating for yourself. And it's just such a personal and fascinating story. And I also think it's such a, on a sort of personal selfish level, it's one of the simplest ways that I know how to make things okay. You know, you're having a rough day you know, you, you can roast the chicken and roast some potatoes and sit down and it will be an absolutely delicious meal or make a really yummy frittata or make a really good comforting pasta with yummy cheesy sauce and sit down and have that and it tastes good and it makes you feel good and if everything else is falling and crumbling around you, you did that <laughs> and from beginning to end and it does sort of give you I think a sense of achievement and for me cooking for other people for the people you love is it's such an amazing feeling it's such a great way of expressing love for other people um and putting that positive energy out there I think then it it you know it comes back it's like giving someone a present when you find that present for someone that you love and you're like oh I'm so happy I've I've found the perfect present for you and maybe it wasn't even particularly it wasn't very expensive or snazzy or anything, but it's just the really thoughtful present that I know that you're going to love. That's such a great feeling. That feeling with food um, when you cook for people. I don't know if you think the same. Yeah, but... you, and you get to sit around and kind of share the joy. And it's such a immersive experience, isn't it? Like good food. Yeah. And so, it, and as you say, so achievable, so attainable. We can all, we, we can all do that. Um, and that's very empowering in a way. Um, and that's one of the things that I love about Italy and I feel incredibly grateful to have grown up here is that everyone loves food you know it's like I, I kind of think like in, in in the UK we talk about the weather um, endlessly and it's sort of <laughs> common ground like whoever you're talking to you know you can have like a good long conversation about what the weather's doing um, in Italy everyone talks about food you know what they had for lunch what they're going to have for dinner that I don't know mushrooms have just come into season those are my people yes <laughs> I'd much rather talk about food than the weather yes please <laughs> so here's here's my next question 
as I mentioned at the beginning, seeing a French house, fallen in love with it. But I'm thinking, like, what do you do with two kitchens? Have you bought two of all of your favourite things for the kitchen? So I've been quite lazy. I think it's good to spend a bit of time cooking in a kitchen before um, you decide what to buy, because I find how I cook here in Venice is quite different from how I cook in London. Because the ingredients are different? Yeah, I think so. So when I'm in London, I tend to do more baking, for example. Um, When I'm, so I have like this huge array that I've collected over the years of baking, you know, cake tins and shapes and what have you whereas when I'm here in Venice you know I have one standard cake tin because you know I I will make a cake but I don't you know I I don't do as many I guess because there's so many fantastic pastry shops here like that are family run yeah yes I might do more buying in or also you can get really great like in the summer you get such good delicious fruit here and it's not expensive, you know at the moment like figs are in season and they're not expensive and they are so good but I will do more kind of just even have fresh fruit for pudding with maybe like some mascarpone cream or something or meringues or something like that. Whereas maybe in the UK, if I bought figs and they're quite expensive and a little bit wooden, I might Mm. feel them into a cake or something like that. Um, So you kind of get a sense for what you need, but definitely some things I've got two of, like my KitchenAid freestanding mixer that I'm obsessed with um, and is an investment piece. I I have invested in one here and one in London because I just love it so much. Yeah, and you could not be chucking that in your suitcase because they (laughs) (laughs) And I guess like good knives, what are your other kitchen essentials? So I'm, I think that if anyone came and inspected the knives that I have, in both kitchens they'd be really horrified because they're really <laughs> definitely not good knives this may be why I resort to the frozen chop <laughs> and I'm such a fan of it um but what do I love I love my KitchenAid I've got my, I think a good array of like pans I've got good copper pans in both oh, nice. kitchens because I love those you know like just the risotto pan um and a frying pan and a kind of nice pan to cook pasta in type thing and then some two smaller sort of like milk pans you know like little saucepans for doing panna cotta or or whatever um and those I have in both um and then chopping a, a decent chopping board maybe a nice big chopping board and then a little chopping board I have in both tea towels a ready supply of of nice tea towels um wooden spoons oh, it makes me excited to shop I have to buy the house first <laughs> Oh, it was definitely start with the kitchen. The house, the house will come. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start getting supplies together before I've even bought this. And of course, we need to mention here actually, you have a collection with anthropology. Yes, I do. Um, which is that came out this summer, and that's been it's a tableware collection. It was like the dream project to work on. Um, was so much fun because I love, you know, as you know, I love plates and and I also genuinely a, a big thing that I really believe is like particularly if you're going for the low effort cooking, having um, pretty plates is really transformative because you put pretty much anything on a beautiful plate and it's going to look really special and the kind of thing that you're excited to share with friends. Um, so to be able to kind of create my dream plates that you know, would kind of do that and help bring the food to life was was an absolute dream dream project to work on I love that such a joy okay I have two more questions before I let you go um (laughs) first of all what's your guilty pleasure food because this is all like so glorious and it sounds so idealistic but do you ever just eat a McDonald's in your car 
Oh, well, <laughs> I don't drive, but if I did have a car, I totally would. Um, I, well, one thing we rediscovered that I don't think is even guilty anymore because I've been so effusive to so many people about it, but something I rediscovered during lockdown is the joy of fish fingers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so good. And I also discovered the fish finger sandwich. Oh, my God, yeah. Which is, oh, my God, that is very, very yummy. Do you do ketchup on your fish finger sandwich? Yes, ketchup. Yeah. Um, and, and butter. And butter. Yeah. And some lettuce, if oh, there is oh. any. See, like you've got to make it fancy, haven't you? You wouldn't be you if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big, big fan of fish fingers. What else did I rediscover during lockdown? Oh, my God, this was amazing. That I remember actually going to someone's house. Um, I think it was like my cousin, you know, must be my aunt's house or something in... Um, in the UK when I was little in the nineties, when I think this was actually quite fashionable and she made um, like chocolate sauce made with Mars bars where you basically just like melt the Mars cream and then you pour it over ice cream. And I did that and added a little bit of like molten salt. So it kind of had salted chocolate caramel sort of thing. Oh my God, the most delicious thing. Um, Really keen on that. Does it like set when it hits the ice cream or does it stay running? The ice cream, it kind of, you know, like when you pour like caramel over ice cream and it kind of chewy chewy um otherwise also honestly just nice kind of eaten by the spoonful the other thing I'm obsessed with is Nutella um <laughs> which I will eat by the spoonful which I frowned upon um but that's very good in like so many baking instances it's just like so yummy it will perk anything oh, genius big fan of Nutella um yeah I, I could go on <laughs> <laughs> this is good this is making me feel much more normal thank you <laughs> and here's my final question which is entirely self-serving but have you got a recipe for choquettes for what sorry choquettes I think I may be saying it right or wrong it's like little french pastries they're like little puff things I'm obsessed with trying to make the perfect ones right now but I have an aga so it's not great for baking it's really tricky because it's a whole separate thing cooking baking with an aga isn't it it's like a whole but I mean it's the dream having the aga I mean that is sort of the dream situation um I don't have an answer for that (laughs) I need to research but this is very exciting this is opening a whole new um pastry world I feel like like they're like shoe pastry and then they're just kind of little custody I'm rather embarrassed to say is my nemesis I because I love um I mean doesn't everyone but you know kind of basically being you know like shoe pastry with like maybe like profiteroles basically um and so I have tried to make them a few times and it's just I think I need someone to show like actually show me how to do it because it hasn't worked out well if you find that someone can I come to and they can show me this is this is what we need to do Um, but what are you going to do in France do you think you would go Aga again or would you go a different kind of well they don't really do them over there so they're very much a British thing um so I think probably not because also as well it's very warm in the summer which is fine here because you get about three days of summer but in France if it's like 30 degrees I think it would be too much to have the Aga heat all the time yeah so I guess a range but I'd have to go back to kind of like I, I would only cook on gas. I can't imagine cooking on like electric. electric. Yeah, we we have a gas range in um, actually in both places, but a really nice gas range in in London that I love. I think mean, it's by a French company as well, actually. And I'm such a fan, such a such a fan. That's it's really good to know. Fun. I think it would need that. And the kitchen is obviously where I would start first. But uh, I wasn't even looking. Like I just say, I'm not. I wasn't looking for a house in France. I just 
one found me and it I it's meant to be found you it's meant to be yeah and we can't go and see it because of lockdown and quarantine so like the estate agent just keeps sending me more pictures and I just keep dreaming and making Pinterest boards and shopping lists oh, wow this is the beginning of a fabulous book I can see this oh, being it could be book I, I mean, just that think... would justify it right well, that... yeah <laughs> The house that found you. The house that found me. What a wonderful title. I would buy that book. (laughs) Well, speaking of which, where can people find your book? Um, My book is on, it's on Amazon and uh, Waterstones, you know, online and in store. Um, Also, if you want to support independent bookshops, um, Hive, um, you you can find it through Hive online or in a lot of independent bookshops. Um, So kind of most places where where they sell books. And Um, it's A Table for Friends by Sky McAlpine. And just the name of your first book as well, because I don't think we got it at the beginning. um, My first book is A Table in Venice. And that's also, um, you can buy it in the same places as as this one pretty much. Um, Yeah. Um, Have you got plans for a third? I'd love to do a third. I'm, I'm working on a proposal at the moment um, and kind of going over a few ideas. I, I, I've just enjoyed writing these two so, so much. And it's just such a privilege to put a cookbook out in the world. And then when you see people actually cooking from it, it's yeah, just... Yeah, that's magic. Feeling and it really is very, very, very special. Um, and, you know, I, I just love... I've been endlessly fascinating. I love cooking and every time I discover, you know, make a discovery or manage, you know, if and when I manage to master shoe pastry, um, you know, then I'm going to want to talk about it and try and persuade other people to kind of get bored. So, um, yeah, I'd love to write another one. Well, (laughs) I look forward to it. Make sure you come back on the podcast when you do and we can talk about what else you've created by then and hopefully my French house. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so the chat so final so thing share your instagram because your instagram is an enchanting world all into itself oh thank you it's just my name so it's sky mcalpine s-k-y-e mcalpine all one word um uh all lowercase <laughs> yeah and i definitely recommend people find you there and also your column actually which um i really love i love and again that it's like accessible ingredients there was one i saw where you were just using like uh, ready-made pastry and i was so grateful <laughs> ready-made pastry is actually my favorite thing um I think my editor's a little bit like is it going to be another ready-made pastry <laughs> recipe um yes. do you do anything else but I love it it's just like so so great for instant gratification um and it tastes so good um and it's so quick and easy and like and that's another one of those things that you know you keep it in your fridge and then you always know that you can make a tart or make something like that really quickly yes. um, we need ready-made shoe pastry that's what we need that- that is where that's what we there's clear hole in the market absolutely if anyone's listening (laughs) please feel free to steal that idea and sell it back to us (laughs) sky thank you so much thank you so much for having me such joys show notes for this episode are at meandallad.co.uk forward slash podcast 93 and you can also find all the links especially to everything sky's done in the description for this episode which should appear in your podcast app For anyone who might be curious about the latest with my French house dreams that I mentioned, I am keeping things updated over on Instagram where I'm at me underscore and underscore Orla. Currently someone else is trying to buy it, but you know, we're going to make it happen. And finally, if you've liked this episode or if you're a fan of the show, please do share it, pop it up on your Instagram stories or on Twitter 
or leave a review in your podcast app. It all helps to just get the word out and bring more like-minded listeners to this special community of ours. And it means I can keep making these episodes every week. Take care of yourselves. I hope you have a good week. Eat well. And I will see you all back here for another conversation next week.